Yo, Chuck, run a power move on him. May I say something to you to give you a true knowledge of yourself and life so that the same glory and success attained by other men who understand themselves may be yours? Man in the full knowledge of himself is a superb and supreme creature of creation. When man becomes possessor of the knowledge of himself, he becomes master of his environment, the captain of his own ship, the director of his own destiny, the accomplisher of his own ends. This is the Brooklyn Combine. Um, we took a maybe a week or two off because we wanted to interview the great, smart, bright, beautiful mind of Zhang Wan Kim. I said it right, right? Yes, you did. Um, how are you? I'm good. Hmm. I'm good. My, my brain and my heart is definitely it's, it's full right sound now. Sound is full. And you're about to go on another trip. Well, we won't yeah, get into that. Yeah, just came back from a trip. And you're about to go back. Soon, yeah. All right. Um, so let's we, take a quick. Oh, round table. Yeah. Who's it? Who's here? Who is here? Yeah. Okay. Hang bang. Uh, don't <laughs> start acting crazy. My name is Henry Lee. Uh, just good friends uh, with Phil and Kenny for probably over 20 years. Um, and yeah, and I just kind of walked in, and now I'm in this interview. You bought beers and stuff. Brought beers. You know, cool. just, it's Friday. Lagunitas IPA. I don't like IPAs, but it's all right. Strictly 40s. <laughs> we have Young Femi. Femi, I'm friends with uh, Phil for the past year, I think. You actually participated in a mentoring program that we yeah, do, right? You're an artist? I'm an artist. Fashion designer? Somewhat. Getting into that. How old are you? I'm 17. That's what's up. Very mature young man pleasure and that brings us to John Wayne. well but wait who yeah, are you who are you no, exactly I'm, I'm nobody I'm just the <laughs> well he's guy. he's true that's, that's actually oh are you editing yourself out of this yes I like okay well we took a break because honestly um you know sometimes you can get into like a, a, a not a rut but a certain groove with the episodes and I think for us to be honest about what our world and our environment is, we had to take a step back. And we really wanted to talk to you. Um, I, I don't know really what this... I hate when people say, what do you do? I think that's a very human, um, arrogant thing to ask. I know for a fact you write, surf, travel, very concerned and doing the work concerning our environment, right? Am I missing anything else? Um, yeah, I would say, well, doing the work concerning our environment That was a bro, I tried is, to cover everything. Well, no, I just wanna um, kind of expound on that a little okay. bit because that actually means doing a lot of work um, to advance the rights um, and uh, you know the well-being of people mm -hmm. specifically um, at every stage of the supply chain mm -hmm. the organization that I work for is the Rainforest Alliance um, and we 
We do work along the entire supply chain, but my particular role there as the senior editorial manager is to really um, try to connect um, the producers of all of the goods that we consume, mm -hmm. the crops, the coffee, the cocoa, the, you know, <laughs> the bananas, mm -hmm. all of those things, the tea, the things that are um, what we consider to be, um, you know, global, the top global cash crops. Still, 2018. Very much. I mean, coffee is known as black gold, you know, <laughs> second to oil, oh, of course, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah sure. Um, and for a lot of rural people, these cash crops are vital because aside from the crops they grow for their own family's subsistence, mm -hmm. they have no other means of earning a living, paying for school fees, health care, clothing, you know, medicine, those types of things. So one of the major aspects of my job is to try to um, get to know what life is like for people at what we, the, the sort of origin side of the mm -hmm. global supply chain and tell those stories to the consumer side of the supply chain so that we can start to really catalyze a, 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 grow, a global awareness and a movement of more careful and mindful consumption. Well, on its face, that seems like a terribly <clears throat> difficult journey in the sense that it seems at certain points you are trying to convince the people who are complicit in the marginalization of the people who are providing why maybe they should think twice about how they're consuming. Yeah, I mean, not only is that a major uphill mm. battle, but we also work with companies, um, you know, companies ranging from small artisanal Brooklyn-based mm -hmm. coffee roasters who go and visit. You say the they're organic. And they're yeah, and they go and they visit the farms mm -hmm. and, you know, they're really great. I mean, they're great. They really do care about people at origin. Mm -hmm. But we also work with multinationals like McDonald's mm -hmm. and Dunkin' Donuts mm -hmm. because ultimately we are in such a climate crisis right now mm -hmm. that um, scale is everything. Mm -hmm. So we actually don't have the luxury of being choosy about the kinds of companies that we work with or kind of you know turning our nose away at a really predatory global supply chain mm -hmm. yes it's you know difficult there are definitely times when i think to myself oh wow you know this is really interesting our position here we're sort mm -hmm. of you know we work as allies to farmers and indigenous forest communities and at the same time you know, we're very closely working with companies to try to get them to improve their sourcing practices. So it's a it's a tricky position to to be in. But I think right now it just really feels like everybody has to go all out if we even have a chance at meeting Oops. the global the Paris Climate Agreement um, emissions targets, and for our kids to actually have a livable world that's not. I mean, as we're seeing in Syria and many parts of Central America now, it's the apocalypse, and, you know, the and climate it's, apocalypse. It's, it's funny you saying, yeah. you know, it's all kinds of things running in my head. Um, I, I'm thinking of Naomi. Um, Wolf? What? No. Uh, uh, no uh, Klein? Shock Doctrine. Klein. 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 Yes. Shock Doctrine. Mm -hmm. 
I, I got an image in my head of um, the Dakota Pipeline. I got an image in my head of the Dole family and how they wiped out the indigenous people in Hawaii. And no one, you know, you just, we just eat pineapples. We have no idea that the, these beautiful people were wiped out all for consumption. And then I think of, um, I had read a book a long time ago. I think it was by James Bradley. And he was talking about um, civilization goes west. And the theory of the, the European theory that only they can civilize and their entry into the Pacific um, and everything that was in their way um, was basically destroyed, um, all for consumption. And we, prior to us talking, you just showed me a very powerful film, um, The Albatross. Albatross, yes. And I got to watch the rest of it. But what went through my head was a beautiful bird. And they are, um, I guess, dissecting the insides of the, the birds as they died. And they're pulling out plastic. And you just, you know, so you say that we're at a crisis um, at the rate that we're going if we don't scale it back or find, I don't even know if it's possible to scale it back. If we don't find other alternative uh, sustainable ways to live, what is to come for our children, in your opinion? Well, okay, we'll talk about the climate apocalypse mm -hmm. and the environmental <laughs> apocalypse a little bit, but I also just want to say from the outset, we're not mm -hmm. going to stay there. All right. I, I, I because I, I, that's I crippling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your people, my people, many of our mm -hmm. people have been through other mm -hmm. apocalypses, apocalypti, that's apocalypses. Yeah, yeah, we've been through yeah. all kinds of ap apocalypses. Um, and I do have faith in people because okay. of the, of the, you know, the incredible people I encounter along the way in the course of my work. Mm -hmm. um, you know what concerns me, though? We, we, I still believe in humanity as well. But what, what concerns me is the level of programming at this age of modernity yeah. that I sometimes wonder either what's the next phase of, of programming. Because, listen, you know, radio played a very important part of... of of uh, socialization and then television and internet and now we're in this weird space of social media which has its attributes which can be very powerful but also can be very destructive yes so i know you you're a brooklynite but you travel the world and you go to these places where you meet these beautiful bright people who are sustaining our addictions to coffee and all these other uh, substances what are they what is their position? Okay, so going back to the first question, mm -hmm. I think you were asking, what are we looking at if we don't yes. radically mm -hmm. change the way that we do things? Um, and I think we don't actually have to speculate. Syria mm -hmm. was, is a climate disaster, mm -hmm. at least a big part of it. You know, the various political forces at play there um, would not have gained such a foothold had there not been four years of severe drought leading up to mm -hmm. the conflict. Mm -hmm. um, that drought caused a lot of internal migration and joblessness, so mm -hmm. you had large populations of young people, lots of young men 
roaming around the country with no work and a lot of poverty and desperation. And it was very easy for various political groups to then exploit those forces. To a certain extent, climate also climate change also played a role in what happened in the Darfur genocide. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, with the migration crisis from Central America, climate change is also a huge factor. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of people from rural communities are finding that they can no longer make a living farming. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, things like coffee, um, cacao, um, those things are cash crops. So people might grow their food to live, but in order to maintain their lives, they need to grow cash crops. Coffee is one of those crops that is really susceptible to climate change. It's finicky, mm -hmm. and you have to have the right conditions. Um, you know, it's a somewhat delicate process. What's happening now because of climate change is um, planting seasons have become unpredictable, mm -hmm. heavy rain followed by lo uh, long droughts, and lots of new diseases mm -hmm. that really have no cure. They used to be at this latitude, now suddenly it's all over the place. It used to be at this altitude, now suddenly going higher into the mountains mm -hmm. as temperatures rise. Mm -hmm. so, um, so if we are to be really pessimistic, um, we can look at you know, situations like um, areas like Guatemala or Syria and, and you know, take note. Take this, is, this is what happens with climate change. It's, it's multiple system collapse. So you know you have your production, which begins to weaken and falter. Then people become poor. Economic networks unravel. Then the political uh, mm -hmm. situation unravels, and then you have like a loss of law and order. And you know, it's and, and it all kind of uh, works <clears throat> in this symbiotic relationship with 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 global economics and, and corporations in the yes. sense that it even affects immigration. Very much so, because no. these are single export economies that we created yes. for our benefit and for our profit. consumption. Yes. The Guatemalan Civil War, 30-year Civil War and a, a scorched earth genocide mm -hmm. you know, that we funded, essentially, mm -hmm. a lot of that was due to um, wealthy agricultural corporate yeah. interests. And, and you know, it's, it's funny because you know, one of the most tantalizing situations is a disastrous one for a first world nation with with money and military uh power you know because destabilization is an opportunity very much um and and i i, I you know it's funny that we don't actually think of these problems we we always see the what we don't really look into the why yeah. and it sounds like what you're saying is there are, are a bunch of whys that really whys. take part in, they're all in, interconnected. Yeah, they're all, they're all interconnected. Yeah. Did you see Life and Debt? It's a, it's a really terrific kind of old documentary. Old, uh, yeah, um, it's made in Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. And it's about the creation of Jamaica's single export economy. Mm -hmm. The thing that was really fascinating about that is you had young and old farmers, you mm -hmm. know, generally speaking, you know, farmers are farming. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily super political, mm -hmm. or you know, studying um, uh, you know global capitalism. Mm -hmm. the The average Jamaican farmer, as depicted in this film, was so much more knowledgeable about predatory global capitalism <laughs> than a, an American college graduate. 
and it also has a great reggae soundtrack, so mm. you should check I'll it out. It's a really good film, Life and Debt, and it kind of talks about the cycle of what, what are, are they are are the we're going to take a, a break after this we have so much more we want to talk to you about but you're you're there with the people who are providing and 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 they're at the bottom of the food chain um unfairly what is their outlook for the present as well as the future um so i just came back from a work trip to um guatemala and it's uh that's a, a country where the Rainforest Alliance, the organization I work for, um, we've been very um, engaged and working in that uh, area, the, the Paten, for about 27 years now. And, um, you know, I, I, it's just such, it's so full. There's so much to tell um, about what's happening there. The beautiful thing that's happening is that you know, due to extensive uh, and very concerted lobbying efforts, um, uh, you know, an alliance of people, um, including the Rainforest Alliance and a lot of local community leaders, were able to secure 20 year leases mm -hmm. to large tracts of land in the Paten Rainforest, which is the second most important rainforest in the Western Hemisphere. And absolutely vital to our climate stability. It's uh, you know, the biggest um, stretch of rainforest in Mesoamerica. And um, so they got these 20-year land le leases. A lot of these forest communities were returning from mm -hmm. exile mm -hmm. because of the Civil War. Mm -hmm. So they were refugees coming back and trying to reestablish their lives. Um, and what they knew was um, farming. Um, and at that point, you know, they're, you're faced with an option, slash and burn the rainforest to mm -hmm. create um, you know, cropland for agriculture, or is there a more sustainable way to, to do things? So um, a few of my colleagues, um, in, including a, a, one of my favorite colleagues named Jose Roman Carrera, mm -hmm. he's Guatemalan and he actually grew up in the, that rainforest. Um, he and a few other colleagues uh, you know, created this incredible project and got and lots of funding um, for this project from various sources and basically did a lot of capacity building and training among these communities to develop leadership, mm -hmm. to develop market connections, mm -hmm. and to introduce them to um, what they call best management practices. Okay. It's kind of a wonky way of saying, if you're going to harvest timber from this forest, According to this sustainability standard, you can harvest 1.4 tropical hardwood trees per hectare every 40 years. So it's like low, almost let's call it no impact okay. forestry. Um, that's not enough for them to live on. Mm -hmm. And this is a region of Guatemala that was totally neglected by the government. No mm -hmm. schools. No schools. No schools. Mm -hmm. um, so these communities, um, you know, under, they, they took on a lot of training and development and all of that stuff, and they figured out that they could harvest a lot of things from the rainforest that were in a sort of non-invasive way. And mm -hmm. one of those things is um, this nut, it's called the Ramon nut. Mm -hmm. It's really bitter, mm -hmm. but apparently it's a superfood. It's really high in protein and it has 
like I don't know, magical enzymes that make mm -hmm. you strong and virile. I don't we know. We just Is had it? what was this? The, um, uh, moringa. 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 Like moringa. moringa. The moringa is a plant. Plant. Oh, it has the same thing. It's butter. Oh. It's, it's bitter. But yeah. apparently, if you put yeah. water, it's it is turned sweet. Mm -hmm. But it's same. All the things that you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is a nut that just grows wild in the in the rainforest, and now. You know, they, they used to harvest the nuts and just sell them to mm -hmm. middlemen mm -hmm. who would just rip them off, mm -hmm. like to give them nothing for, you know, raw collected nuts. So we did a whole series of trainings and said, you know what, if you sell a more finished prod product, you'll get more money. So now they're making uh, protein powder mm -hmm. and, you know, is roasted it, is, nuts. Is there effort? Oh, I'll ask that. We're going to take a break and I, I just have a, a few questions on it. said there's no there's no school doesn't necessarily mean there isn't an educational process but it makes it I, I would imagine difficult um, is there anything in play to create social um, institutions within the community to produce young people who understand what's at stake in the future and how to perhaps create or contribute to a paradigm where they are being um, mentored and, and apprenticed into, you know, saying, look, this is, we're willing to share. However, if we are, we have to be in a position in which it's sustainable for us and we can evolve and grow as well to avoid the exploitation. 
Yeah, so, so the incredible thing about all of these different um, enterprises is, you know, and aside from Ramon Nuts, there's also another business that they've started, mm. which is the collecting of palm mm. leaves for, mm. I guess, for Catholic people. They mm. use a lot of palm leaves mm. for, yeah, I for, don't know, for, for church. Yeah, for, yeah. I don't know what they do with them. Yeah, yeah. They, they make crowns they or something. Home, or, they, they yeah, Palm wall, Sunday, right? Sunday. It's, it's a big day for this community. Yes, they make yes. a lot of money on Palm Sunday. Um, so the whole point of this was really to diversify their income streams because you know if you're going to do anything sustainably you can't just you can't just clear cut a forest mm -hmm. and then you know then you end up in this boom and bust cycle that eventually wears out the land and then you have nothing left right mm -hmm. so they now have this diversified income stream their businesses are successful mm -hmm. i mean they're not rich but they actually are making enough to fund their own schools so now they actually have schools the environmental education is a huge component of their schools. Mm. And one of my colleagues works with um, the educators there mm -hmm. um, in a, I think it's called STEM. It's like a STEM-based mm -hmm. um, interdisciplinary curriculum to teach kids um, uh, about climate change and about the role that they play. They start with the kind of local to global. They start with the local and then go to global. Um, and so they definitely understand um, that without that cultivation of younger people, their businesses will just die yeah, out yeah. and then their communities will die yeah. out. And a lot of these are indigenous communities. Yeah. If their communities die out, if the young people move away, the communities die out, the old people are not taken care of, the language dies. That sounds like America. It's very, <laughs> it's like very, yes, it's a very us. intense. So they've got, you know, they've definitely got that part going. And so, I mean, the reason I wanted to tell you about this, this whole project is, is really just to say, you know, when we are feeling completely hopeless, to just remind ourselves there are places where people are giving 150% to doing things the right way even if they are constrained by a system of global mm -hmm. predatory global capitalism mm -hmm. even within that right mm -hmm. short of like a global revolution that is immediately replaced by a beautiful and, sustainable political and economic structure i mean that just doesn't happen look at yeah. what happened in china you know permanent revolution just <laughs> doesn't work either but within the constraints they have created something really incredible and so that's what keeps me going but 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 all of this right now is under a massive threat yes. because the concession the land leases run out in four years mm -hmm. there's a new presidential election in guatemala in about mm -hmm. a year and a half and a Who's America backing in this next presidential they, election? Uh, well, the candidates haven't the Damn. candidates haven't really emerged yet, mm -hmm. the front runners. But there is a a kind of informal alliance of wealthy, old, elite Guatemalan landholding families, mm -hmm. big corporate Guatemalan agribusinesses, mm -hmm. and some politicians who want nothing more than to, than to abandon the concession model. Mm -hmm. So when the leases are up in 20 years, I mean, they've been for the last few years mounting this campaign of disinformation, misinformation mm -hmm. 
about the concessions and they're spreading rumors that there's narco trafficking in the concessions, mm -hmm. which is such a dangerous mm -hmm. lie. Um, because you know when they're spreading those rumors in U.S. Congress, there's yeah. narco trafficking and deforestation mm -hmm. in the concessions. Well, guess who gets excited to hear that? Military contractors. Military. Oh, there's narco trafficking. Yeah. The, Blackwater, the Blackwaters. Yeah. And, uh, the so Arab princes of the world. Yeah. So they have all these other plans formula, for yeah. They have all these other plans for for that land. Um, you know they want to build a big Maya ruined theme park mm -hmm. with luxury hotels and they're promising jobs and this and that. But you know, let's face it, like if you're a Guatemalan person who grew up in the forest, would you rather clean toilets for some gringos mm -hmm. or would you rather work in your own business I that say, you created I say own business. with your family and yeah. friends? You know, and you might make a little bit less money. Yeah, Jamon, but you just like that's you just said earlier, the, there's a lot of parallel to what's going on in America and around the world. You know, what what's clear to me is though is that we we tend to think that the global majority is what's in Congress, the American Congress. That's not the global majority around the world though. Um, what do you think as and I hate using this word progressive because I think in this social environment that we're in in this, this rare space uh, that we're in at this point in time, progressive can be mistaken for just resisting the ultra-conservative. But what can someone do or what can communities do to, I guess, um, help the people in, in Guatemala and other indigenous places who are um, being exploited? But what can they do in their own community um, to, to, to build a, a paradigm to resist this global economic purpose of very predatory system. Like what can we do? Like what could we do in the local, at the local level? Um, you know, I think we first have to identify what's really going on and mm -hmm. that is an accumulation of capital, you know, in the hands of a really small a number of people, people. Who, yes. who are not thinking long term at all. They're yeah. building bunkers in New Zealand. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, there are lots of different approaches and I think we have to take all of them. Um, Going back to the idea of would you rather be cleaning toilets for wealthy gringos or mm. would you rather run your own forest mm. business and your own sawmill, sustainable mm. timber sawmill? You know, we could have asked ourselves or we should have asked ourselves the same question when Jay-Z and Barclays, you know, mm -hmm. Bruce Ratner came yeah. in with this stadium. Affordable housing, jobs, Affordable housing, stuff. jobs. Like what yeah. kind of jobs are they yeah. really? You and know? look what happened. And where are you going with those jobs? Mm -hmm. Where's Where are these jobs really going to take mm -hmm. you? So I think, you know, I'm not really a proponent of any kind of rapid revolutionary mm -hmm. model because- Especially if you don't have anything in place or- That's often the problem when yeah. you have a really quick change, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's nothing that's, in place I think and when you, you have chaos. Yeah, and the history, you know, can, can speak to that. You, you look at what Patrice Lumumba and a lot of the African leaders had done, it was tremendous, but they didn't have, they didn't have the answer. Yeah. to what everybody wanted because unfortunately culturally people want stuff 
in things. Yes. So and that's like, you just, you know, hit the nail right on the head. It's culture. And I think even though it's a really daunting task, I think that the thing we have to really focus on right now with all of our effort, you know, mobilize everybody we possibly can mm -hmm. is to create a radical culture shift. And part of that is bringing people to awareness about how interdependent we are. When you have buy a plastic bottle of water, every piece of plastic that was ever created still exists yes. and it will take 400 years for a like even a flimsy plastic bag to degrade mm -hmm. and it won't biodegrade into something that's okay it'll biodegrade and create like estrogen disruptors it's much more likely to all kinds to of stuff poison us than it to, is poisoning yeah. us i think it's probably contributing to a crisis of infertility mm -hmm. that's affecting a lot of men around mm -hmm. the world. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that, that's how we mobilize them. We tell men that their sperm, <laughs> right, count, sperm count is going down, and then they'll be like, we You're need right, a solution. Right, no bottles, no plastic. <laughs> yeah. Guys, did you hear that? <laughs> plastic, sperm it's, count. It's true, though. Um, but, you know, and I think, here's the thing. We have this, like, global jurisdictional agreement now to reduce our um, greenhouse gas emissions. That America is really, like, you know, we're not even paying attention, attention. to it. Yeah. But, you know, let's even take America out of the question. Mm -hmm. Each country has their, their NDCs, their, their sort of individual national emissions mm -hmm. targets. And these NDCs, like a lot of negotiation went into setting these targets. You know, there was a lot of disagreement between countries like India, for example, and then Northern European mm -hmm. countries because, you know, India was saying, well, you all created this mess yes, and now yeah. you're saying we can't, can't develop yeah, 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 yeah. when we can't even feed our population and mm -hmm. so you're putting brakes on our development to solve a problem that you know you created mm -hmm. so anyway that was really that almost completely derailed the negotiations but they finally got past that they set these ndcs and part of the way it's all supposed to work is that wealthy countries are supposed to pay yeah. to um, support sustainable development and you know basically climate change mitigation. Why not? Like, listen, that's the price. Countries. That's the price of imperialism and colonization. They've been very it's a small price when you print money. Exactly. You know, I mean. But they've been very slow to pay. That's ridiculous. You know, so there now there's like this funding issue, and a lot of these um, developing countries they have really ambitious plans, mm -hmm. and in fact, countries like Mexico and Guatemala are doing a Ecuador, even Peru, they're doing a lot more mm -hmm. to mitigate climate change than we are. Mm -hmm. I mean, what farmers have you heard of in the United States who are using climate smart agricultural methods or integrated pest management or mm -hmm. agroforestry? No, we yeah. have like huge monoculture, and we're still growing alfalfa in California to feed cows mm -hmm. so everyone can have two hamburgers a day. You know, and you know what's, it's back to culture a bit. Like I was looking at the recent election, which um, a lot of people got caught by surprise. Um, the young, young, powerful Latina of Puerto Rican descent, she kind of knocked the giant, um, Crowley. And I was looking at some of her reforms, immigration, minimum wage, uh, um, public, uh, you know, um, health care for everyone, 
in in the 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 local rags in the papers are calling her a communist and it's like you know it's and and I know she they didn't expect her to win so she's going to have a lot of um opposition but I, I think she's probably prepared for it. I've never met her but I, I'm certain she's probably prepared for that but it seems as though culturally we're in this space where at least the majority uh, uh, millions of Americans they resist anything progressive or any reform simply because no reason they just do it by nature uh, and I think that's a problem like culture the educational culture and the cultural default in the in Western culture is is very toxic to to sustainability so at at one point you know it's like something has to give you know is it, is it mother nature is it some benign incident like what is it that that really pushes it past this space yeah i mean i mean i think that's why the work that you're doing at the combine um you know this mentoring program that you do with it they're high school and middle high school, school kids right middle some, school, middle school some lower we actually mm -hmm. may be getting in the college kids so. <clears throat> that kind of work is vital and it has to be scaled up yeah. it really has to be scaled up um you know essentially what we have to do you know the task before us is to persuade people, politicians, and corporations to go against market pressures and human nature. nature yeah. Everybody thinks short term. That's why climate change is so difficult to mobilize people around. People are like, you know, it's not, I mean, I got to pay my rent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or my son just got in trouble. But it's what, and, what you, know, you just said, though, the, the, you know, cancer, infertility, like what else do we need to see to convince each other that maybe we need to do this a different way? I, I don't yeah. understand. I'm, I'm just curious. Like, you know, what, what do we what else do we need to do? That's Phil telling me I should take a break. I want to take a break. This is what he does. One. He just tells us to take breaks. He's like a. I'm not even gonna use the word. He's like a like a time to Relaxation stop. Relaxation enforcer.
interesting is also I think Monsanto and <clears throat> large corporations like that put the pressure on farmers to be like, you have either do it our way or you're not doing it at all, mm -hmm. right? So it's like it's putting a lot of, you know, and whether they were uh, for it or not for it, you know, and I think that's the interesting part and it goes back to the same sort of paradigm of capitalism, right? Like large multinationals, the farmers are like, I don't even want to do it this way, some of them are, and they're just like, I have to do it. It's like, if I don't do it, they're going to put me out of business. Yeah. And that's like the part where it's like, it's like this kind of circular thing, which is they're forcing people to actually behave, maybe not even in their own self-interest of, you know, thinking environmentally or sustainably. They're just like, I got to feed the family. It's like, this you is mean like convincing poor people to vote for a billionaire. <laughs> like, that's what I mean by the level of programming at this right. stage in, in, in society is really it's, it's quite remarkable to really be a part of it and then observe yeah. it but then say you know what I don't I'm not a part of that I want to build this community that it requires every bit of inertia energy that you can muster up Cause to fight the inertia yeah, yeah. It's, it's like this all the time right it really is like it's to the point with me. I don't even know what to eat most days because I'm I'm just like I don't. Know. I, I want to do. I have an idea for a video. I want to do a video called Shopping with Jung Won. Good, that would be dope. My friend Elizabeth and I went shopping and we went to the grocery store one day, and she was like, "Are these grapes okay? What about avocados?" And I was like, "Well, you no, know, that would be dope. Avocados are uh, there's like a lot of narco trafficking in Mexican avocados right now. I don't know." that maybe we should get these avocados and not those. Where do those avocados come from? And and then she got to the point where she was like, Jung Wan, you know just, just you know. you decide what we're gonna have. And I was like, no. But the point is, there's no purity. We don't live in a system where anyone can achieve purity. We can just try to do better, and. It's hold each other accountable. No, I don't think. Not it, depressing. You know what? But That's it's the like, thing. Damn. Like, so this is the thing. You know one of my nicknames, I have a lot of nicknames, but one of them is Pollyanna Apocalypse. Yes, I know Pollyanna. And, <laughs> I like that nickname. And the reason I'm a Pollyanna Apocalypse is because we are, you know, the 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 climate, environmental, political apocalypse. It, it's it's it has begun. It's we're begun. In the, we're, we're in it. We're in the early Definitely stages. In Some countries are in deep no, in someone, already. Yeah, they are. So mm -hmm. depending on where you live, but here in the United States. It's going to be bad in the United <clears throat> States, though, for for a lot of reasons. It's, yeah, but it's I think, already bad. I mean, yeah. there are farmers that have who have abandoned their land in California, their mm -hmm. entire communities in California, and also in Michigan, who, I mean, that's not a climate thing, but mm -hmm. that it's still mm -hmm. an environmental disaster, you know, who don't have potable water. Um, so we're getting little glimpses of it, but by and large, most Americans are pretty insulated and, and you know, comfortable. How would, how would you know, most of us, we're, we all live in an urban area, whatever that means, metropolis. How would a metropolis be affected when the bottom falls out when the food supply yeah. gets shortened I mean, well you were um, here when hurricane sandy, sandy. happened yeah, right and wild. We, we saw what happened when fights there at gas stations gasoline. yeah it's and less then, gas stations now but it's more buildings there's more people yeah. it's more places to stay but there's right. less stuff to sustain yourself our food distribution network broke down mm-hmm people suddenly realize like, oh wow, I am completely dependent on a random giant warehouse in New Jersey to get my vegetables. I don't mm -hmm. have 
access to food unless it comes, you know, on a truck from New Does Jersey. Does that mean we grow food on the roofs of I our, mean, brown, yeah, our brownstones I think, or something? I think, like, the work of Will Allen, are you familiar with yeah, Will I, Allen? I, yeah. This amazing uh, urban community gardener movement, and I think he's from Philly, mm -hmm. um, and he's, you know, so he's done incredible work growing, I don't even know how he does it, he's an engineer, really, he creates these highly productive um, urban gardens um, in small plots, but he's got everything kind of growing stacked, vertically and yeah. stacked, and he's so brilliant. Um, so yeah, I mean, and that's happening. I see that a lot throughout Bed-Stuy and, and Bush. So you mean to tell me all this consumption about Drake's video and song and his child is not going to help us when when the shit is hitting the fan? Oh my God, fan? you're asking the wrong person. I'm like the Rip Van Winkle of pop culture. I, if you, we, we can't talk about pop culture. I was, being, I was oh, being a jackass. Oh, okay, okay. Drake has facetious. a son? I didn't know. Um, his anyway. name is Adonis. Oh, okay. He's, he came he's out. probably cute. I don't know. Yeah, Good sure luck know. to him. Yeah, it's cool. I'm um, just, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm being, yeah. I'm being a jerk about it, but I, I just feel like, yeah, we, um, to change the culture, you have to really make, be committed to that. Yeah. You have to resist. You have to resist. But the, and then you have to also hold but each other accountable. But if you resist, you're a hater, though, in this day and you age. You know what? I don't know. Like, right now, I don't feel like our conversation. We're not hating. No. And we're not judging people for getting caught up. And, you know, if you have a choice between no job and your kids are hungry or you work for Shell Oil mm -hmm. or for Monsanto, mm -hmm. I mean... The reality is you're going to take the job, right? Yeah. I mean, if I were in that position, I would take the job. So mm -hmm. I don't think there's, I don't think judgment is useful in this context. I, I like judgment, regret, despair. Like, I really feel like we're at the point where we have no energy to waste no, on things don't. that are not going to move us not. forward. Absolutely. So this conversation, the podcast you're doing, that's moving that's us leadership. forward. You're taking time out of your week after doing I, I know wild, your days I had a wild week this week I know your days are intense week. yeah let me tell you how, how wild I'm in the twilight <clears> zone I had a, I did a trial with a young man who I did not think should go to trial uh, it was a brutal crime really really brutal and he had got caught with a, another crime similar but no one died but it was a sting it was just as callous and cold where he's on the tape basically saying he's going to kill people and silencer and all this other stuff. We go to trial on this horrific, brutal crime. And like I thought, he gets convicted. And he was just sentenced to 480 months yesterday or this wow. week. And I saw him today. And he looks me in the eye and he says, I just want to, he said, Ken, I just want to tell you, um, I'm really, I'm, I apologize for putting you in a position to go to trial and lose on this kind of a case. And at the same time though, I'm really happy that you were my attorney. And I was, I, I w it was odd, you know, because I'm like, damn, I'm still thinking about 480 months. Like, wow. And it was interesting because I got, when you represent people, it's a journey. You don't just run, get money from people, go push a couple of buttons, 
hey, this is the result, see you later. Like literally you're, you're on your life journey and this person is on their life journey and you guys collide and you walk away from that. And I'm like, wow, this is a very weird way to spend my days. And, um, you know, I, I, I left. I, it was a good meeting, I guess, in, in one regard. But in another regard, I, I was very melancholy afterwards um, because the case was about the drug scourge that has, you know, people wonder why these, these, these narco uh, communities they have these narco communities because everybody in America want to do fucking drugs. Like, the demand for drugs is so high here in America. It's, like, ridiculous. And it corrupts everyone who partakes in it. Including, Including rural communities yes, in Guatemala. everybody. So the narco trafficking that they talk about, you know, I, I told you there mm -hmm. were rumors of narco trafficking in these forestry concessions. There's narco trafficking all over the rainforest, not in the concessions, not in the community run concessions, because they are militant about mm -hmm. keeping their shit clean. Mm -hmm. But in the western areas where there's no community organizing, the narco traffickers have taken over. Taken over. But, you know, so here's the thing with that interaction I could see the melancholy, right? Mm -hmm. That's really hard because whether you feel what your client did is you know, heinous or not, yeah, I, yeah, it's... you know, there's a whole chain of events in his life yes. that led up to that point and acculturated him to become that person. Yes. Right. So, so that's the bigger picture. And ultimately what you're doing in defending him is not defending those crimes, but defending the rule of law yeah, and, absolutely. you know, justice, right. Yeah, to protecting absolutely. certain mechanisms that mm -hmm. we're supposed to have. We don't really have the higher up you go, but mm -hmm. we're supposed to have these protections. But if you look at it from the lens of, you know, how are you advancing? Um, you know, how it's like you either build or you destroy, right? right? So, mm -hmm. so what happened in that interaction? Something in your work together touched him. Mm -hmm. And what I hear in his words is that he had an insight about something, something. which is... You know, not just an intellectual understanding, but something happened in his heart too. Mm -hmm. Of just come, you know, from just coming into contact with a person like you, who approached him, I I am sure with respect and compassion, absolutely. even though yeah, absolutely. he had done this terrible yeah. thing. But you know, that moment of insight is a key, and it just opens up a whole new world for him. So, okay, four hundred and fifty months you know, in prison. 80, Eighty. You know what I 80, told him? Four hundred eighty. You you hit it on the head. <laughs> I told him and I couldn't make something up because sometimes, you know, people assume that lawyers just will say anything. I'm not one. I, I, I don't, I'm not rigged that way. I, I'm going to say what I mean. It, you may not like it sometimes, but I'm not just going to say something. And I thought about it and I said, you know, I, I won't say his name, but I, you know, I said, listen, you know, what was the most challenging thing in representing you is that you're very bright. Um, but I think you lost your way. In, in life, you forgot your purpose. And I said, you know, it's sort of like Mumia talked about with America being an open prison. It's just a prison, uh, whether you're in the wall or behind the wall. But I said, what you can imprison here is your mind if you, if you uh, are protective of it and you continue to grow because you still have kids and you still have all these other things in life and you can, you can evolve. And um, I told him to fight. 
just continue to fight and continue to evolve as a human being. Because I was like, you're going to meet staff, other inmates, family. There's all these other like, interactions in the world. And, and that's a very intense, closed system. He's going to be in prison. Mm -hmm. I think there's, with you know, it's a very, it's a fight for survival within there, but yeah. it's also an opportunity to, to, to begin a journey and to invite other people to go on that journey. You know where he told the judge why he did what he did? Because of the depression. He ended up, he was on depression at some different periods of his life. He had some, some, some physical abuse as a child as well that was unreported. But he said the pressures of trying to provide for his single mom mm. is what got him to enter the drug trade as a guy who was gonna take. But then I was, you know, I had to sit through five victim impact statements, five victims of the, five family members of the victim. The victim was a drug dealer, mm. um, selling poison, corrupted. Um, the family of the victim's mother was killed by a neighborhood drug addict years a year or two before this murder. But it was then, you know, sitting in the in the sentencing, it was really odd for me to watch how drug the drug scourge in America has corrupted the sellers, the dealers, the 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 addicts, the family of the of the victims, you know, people who are family members, they don't see their family members as selling poison. They see their family members of these people who are just—it's a job. Mm -hmm. um, the the ancillary trades that are are started from the drug trade, and it's like, wow, all of this for capitalism. Mm -hmm. and it, it's just very odd, you know. And then to sit in an environment where a judge is more often than not a product of privilege from the oppression, a marginalized group, and they're now mm -hmm. judging. Right. that group somebody to whom they yes. can't relate they can't relate at all. and they right. do not <clears throat> see or credit the causal or correlative effects of how that person got there or how they yeah. got that person is there because you were there right you guys are it's almost like yeah. wealth needs poverty right well poverty. because our system is a zero-sum yes. game and, and it's, it's, yeah. it was really it was a, it was you know it was interesting so you know well, I do think, um, you know, even within the walls of a prison, there are opportunities for that culture change that we were talking about Absolutely. earlier. And I want to just shout out my mentor, um, Bill Drummond, William mm. Drummond, um, who just a uh, hi, Bill, I know phenomenal guy, um, one of the founding editor, the founding editor of NPR's All Things Considered, mm -hmm. uh, black journalist um, who covered the civil rights movement. So mm -hmm. that was a really wild position for him to be in. And then went on to become a foreign correspondent for the Los Angeles Times, based in India, New Delhi, Jerusalem, lots of really interesting posts. Um, so he was teaching at UC Berkeley, has been teaching at UC Berkeley um, uh, in the journalism master's program, which is where I met mm -hmm. him for many, many years. And he's, you know, He's been there a long time. He was mm. feeling really burned out. He started to notice a change in the type of student who started to go to the journalism mm. school. They, um, you know, there used to be a lot of mission-driven students like me who were like, mm. we want to be the voice for the voiceless. You know, we came in with all this fire and kind of an activist spirit. And he said over the last 20 years or so, um, I guess I'm dating myself, but um, yeah, over the last 20 years or so, 
everybody came in wanting to be a famous blogger mm-hmm. and do like their multi <laughs> yeah multimedia mm-hmm. vlogs and blogs blogger. and Vlog. and and so he was he actually got really depressed he told me he was really depressed and he um but he's never wanted to be complacent so he actually started a a journalism program. He connected with the education program at San Quentin Prison and started a journalism program there and they started a newspaper. And this program has not only transformed the prisoners who are working with him, but it's transformed him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's given That's him, in, you know, in the later stage of his career, like he is so on fire right now you know i just live for his social media Yo, listen, posts I, I, you got to interview him no i you would love must. i would love to do that actually um npr actually contacted me today um because they wanted me to participate in some podcasts about um the intersectionality between mass incarceration and hip-hop culture and entertainment which is like that's like a ground ball you know and, and it goes back to no I, I say that to say because of culture wait is that a soccer metaphor what's no, a ground what's ball, ground ball? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no pop culture no sports no that's like baseball like, like a yeah. ground ball is an easy play like, okay like yeah. Yeah. baseball yeah, yeah. you just yeah. had to tell i could have yeah. figured it out if you yeah, said no, baseball no, no. it's cool it's cool it's so but i say that to say because i'm like yo listen you know Black and brown people in America and now the world have been sold dysfunction as a form of entertainment. Like, where else can you sell to someone like, yo, this shit is art. Yo, fuck your mother. I'll fuck your bitch. Uh, uh, give me money. I sell drugs to the hood. I, I know where it comes from. It comes from oppression and pain, but it's still dysfunction without further context. So that's an easy, easy a, a easy play. Uh, I Not think you'll be ball. great. Uh, okay, here's a quote I just pulled up um, in relation to something that you said earlier about you know what made you feel melancholy about mm-hmm. the client that you were representing, um, and I'm pulling this from um, from the social media feed of a fellow um, you know mindfulness practitioner and spiritual brother. His name is Josen Tamori Gibson. He would mm-hmm. be an amazing guest for you also. Yeah, we would love. He's would a love. Dharma teacher, very committed to mm-hmm. um, cultivating, um, you know, really nourishing positive culture, even in music too, mm-hmm. but also in, in spirituality um, among people of color, mm-hmm. and, and um, is a part of the Brooklyn Zen Center, people of color sangha, and just all around really active uh dharma activist let's call him that but he posted this um great quote from nikki giovanni um that you know and what you said earlier reminded me of this the state of the world we live in is so depressing and this is not because of the reality of the men who run it but because it just doesn't have to be that way the possibilities of life are so great and beautiful that to see less wears the spirit down And that's kind of it's where, pretty, that's pretty, where yeah. we are, right? When you know, like Asen said to me the other day, we were listening to like, I don't know, some amazing song. I wish I could remember what it is, but um, anyway, it was an amazing song because, mm-hmm. you know, all the songs he plays are amazing. amazing. It was some classic, <laughs> deep, yeah. mm-hmm. just harmonious, you know, I mean, har- harmonically complex and fun and great. And he said something like, you know, look at what we're capable of and look at what we're doing. Doing. 
No, think you know? about it. That's... And that to me kind of encapsulates where we are and why the work of, um, of culture change, you know, hearts and minds, all of mm-hmm. that stuff is really critical. And we have to start there because we can't have top down. Evolution by nature is not top down. Mm-hmm. Evolution has to be ground up. Same thing with the Paris Climate Agreement. We're not going to achieve any of those goals unless there's a groundswell mm-hmm. of demand mm-hmm. by consumers on companies to just do better and to do more. There's not going to be, you know, we're going to have a million Bruce Ratner, Atlantic Mall, Definitely. Barclays stadiums unless there's a real groundswell of, um, I don't even want to say resistance, but maybe just like, claiming and pushing and ins- for and insisting on something beautiful like we know what beauty is and we know how to make it mm-hmm. i think a lot of people have just lost their energy and their will to to really push for it because they're just beat down trying yeah. to make a living yeah, and yeah. we've of course had this decades long intentional uh, plan of miseducating and undereducating people so that you know this system can Absolutely. feed on all of us being sort of zombie like zombie consumers right so it's something about our concept of leadership too that is kind of toxic because you've hit it on the head and we continually put um, toxic people in the leadership positions and expect them to do these great things and it's, um, yeah. it's catching up to us. What, what time, Nazi? What? what? We're going to take a break right now. Smooth, 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 silky voice. Listen to that smooth voice. Smooth, silky voice. Oh, my Phil. goodness.
So we're back. Um, earlier, you had mentioned that I know the story of Han, and I can't say I have. I would be interested in hearing the story, though. Uh, okay, so Han is not so much a story as a concept, mm-hmm. but I think it's a really useful concept that we need to understand in order to unravel and transform the poisonous aspects of our current culture mm-hmm. um, and to transform the historical trauma that feeds that dysfunction. Han is a Korean word. It's a super important concept, and mm-hmm. people talk about it daily, especially if they've been drinking. Mm-hmm. Everybody starts <laughs> talking about their Han. But Han is basically historical or it's it's inherited grief and rage. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so it's an assumption that everyone has it somewhere? No, Koreans only talk about it in relation to Koreans. No, I mean in a sense that, I mean conceptually, like if you're, if you're a Korean, whether you're a loud Korean, quiet Korean, rambunctious, Every voices, has everyone Han. has Han. Every Korean has Han. And the Han, the reason for the Han is, you know, centuries of, Invasion, colonialism, Mm -hmm. uh, war, Mm -hmm. all of those things. Um, You know, in during the Japanese occupation, Korea, for example, uh, Koreans were not allowed to speak the Korean language in public. Mm -hmm. So my grandmother, you know, spoke fluent Japanese um, up until the day she died. Toward the end of her life, when she had dementia, um, it was really wild. We took her to a Japanese restaurant one time, and she started going off on the waiter, who was Japanese, Mm -hmm. about all the things that Japan had done wrong and how he should be ashamed Mm -hmm. to be You know, I mean, it was pretty wild, and the poor kid was like... That wasn't a dementia, though. That was... That was was (laughs) real shit. That was Han. Han was in the building. Korean context, you might see some men, they're drinking whiskey. In, in Korea, it's one for one. When you're drinking with somebody, women are not included in, in this mm-hmm. equation, but when you're drinking with somebody man to man, it's a very patriarchal culture. Mm-hmm. If you drink one, you got to drink one because you don't want to break the trust. Okay. You're both gonna a lot of peer pressure. All right, all right. No, I'm like, you, you don't want to. Nice. Like, you know, if you're not drinking equally, then, oh, you, you might have the advantage if you're drinking more, right? So Yeah, no, nah, I like that. Equally, that's, right? yeah, that's, that's, I'm, with, I'm with that. Yes, we're going to do that right when we finish. Yeah, yeah we're going to do that. So, anyway, you know, I saw this with my dad and his brother, for example. They're drinking one for one. And then, inevitably, at some point, the conversation turns to Han. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not supposed to beat the table, but there's this. Oops, oh, that's probably really loud. But they're no, beating their chest... Sorry. Are you okay? No, no, no that's not good. Are you okay? <laughs> so they're beating their chest and they're talking about how fucked Korean people have been for generations and the Japanese did this and the Americans did this and the Chinese and the Russians did this and we have so much suffering and we're just carrying this like do they ever do they ever fight each other or is it oh, always a camaraderie so thing? No, okay. there's fighting. You All right. fight on the street. It's a, you right. know, it's a No, I, I'm really no, of, but uh, you, you carry around yeah, all that Han. It that's doesn't a lot. make you feel peaceful. Damn, John so, Warren, I'm so, so you, you, you bring it you bring it to like I'm saying something interesting. Really? Han, although Koreans 
don't really talk about Han applying to non-Korean mm-hmm. people. What I see, because I have friends in many different cultures, I believe Han is the concept that applies to many oppressed people. Yeah! And that we can <laughs> yeah, look sure. at Han, inherited grief and rage, resulting from historical Yo, trauma. nigga, what you looking at? Stepped on my shoe. Yo, well, whatever. In, in like, <laughs> yo. The conversation about music that you were talking about earlier, you know, what is expressed and why is, why, where is that coming from? So, you know, we identify it and we name it. I think it's important to start talking about it and to say, you know, yes, Koreans have Han, but black Americans have a lot you know, of Han too. You know what I'm interested in? What, what, how does it, how does it end? In the discussion of the Han, like, is there a, is is there an evolution to say, you know what, we know we were oppressed. Is it turned into fight? Or the way I've heard about it spoken is people just keep carrying the Han, Han. or they talk about. But does it motivate? Because it, because yes. it, it, I'm gonna tell you, my yes. my black Han inspires me. It's funny because people assume that I'm this. I, I'm really not a. I'm not contrary. I honestly just because of the Han in my life and my ancestry and my gene pool, I got to question everything, and it came naturally from a child. Um, so I, it inspires me. I think it can be a force, either way, in in, in many different directions. So the Han is there, but how you respond to it? Do you transform it into? Mm-hmm concrete positive action mm-hmm. do you transform it into fighting and rage and destruction you know that, that, I guess that wouldn't really be transformed mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. would just be reenacting right the Han like mm-hmm. a lot of times people talk about um, individual trauma and then people will kind of keep creating the same situation over and over and over again because they're in a trauma loop and they can't get out of it and that's kind of mm-hmm. not that they're comfortable in it but that's just they're, they're trapped in that loop so I think there's that, but I think it's important to identify that this is what's happening in many different mm-hmm. cultures around the world, and and then to agree that it needs to be transformed, you know, before it kills us. Yeah. It needs to be transformed before it takes, you know, a toll on your own heart. Heart. Does it does it require reflection? I mean, personally, mm-hmm. I believe that to transform any strong emotions, it requires a spiritual practice. And that can look like a lot of different things for people. It can look like dance. It can mm-hmm. look for me. It's meditation. Um, you know, I've definitely had periods in my life when I was so overcome with either rage or despair um, that it was unbearable. And, it, you know... The only way I could find my way out was through like an hour of daily meditation, 4.30 to 5.30 a.m. for like two years. Two years. And then I got to the point where I was like, all right, I don't need to kill this person. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely think, though, you hit it on the head. When you don't release that energy, it eats you from inside. And that internalizes into stress, into a whole bunch of other things that we have to deal with. And I know for me personally... Um, when I, I think I was talking to one of these guys one day, probably a couple of days, when I think back to how much trauma I've been a part of from a child's age, for a moment I get really scared and I get dark. 
But then I worked so much as a child to get out of it um, that I'm I'm no I'm no like I'm I'm okay with my rage because I've had to work on it my entire life. Like it either was gonna eat me up or um, it was gonna put me in a position that I didn't want to be in. And I think society and the level of programming that we have now is in this day and age. It it really is the purpose is to distract you from what your Han may be or may, what may be the cause of your Han or the origin of it. And I think a lot of that is going on. And um, I think creating environments where people can honestly address that without ridicule is, is, would be a positive thing, I think, in the end, particularly for young people. Um, but, you know, wow, the Han. <laughs> the Han. Yeah, I think it's a really useful... Concept. Is it a male paternalistic thing? No, I do mean, the do the do your do the grandmothers and the, the aunties get around? Yeah, my grandmother had some Han, definitely. Okay. I mean, she'd had her whiskey at night mm-hmm. and talked about her Han, Han. you know. But um, I mean, there are a few different responses to Han, and we talked about transforming them. We talked about, in a way taking care of your Han, not denying it, but what you were just saying about mm-hmm. how you've had to um, to learn to live with it and not stay there, but mm-hmm. not repress it. Yeah. I think another aspect of this is, you know, the Han is there, but to just cultivate joy, you know, and, it, and it's not, not in an escapist way, but to remind ourselves, you know, all of us that, even when there's so much horrible stuff going on in the world, and, and you know we're watching babies go to concentration jail, camps, jail, baby, baby concentration jail. camps in, in the United States, you know, I mean, how many of us looked at those videos and listened to those recordings and cried for days? Yeah, I know pretty, I was, yeah, was pretty devastated. <clears throat> and, and I think there is a tendency, especially for activist-minded people, to believe that they don't, they can't rest, and you can't, you know, you we, you know, we should feel guilty about yeah. experiencing happiness because other people are suffering, and, and I, I used to be like that. I used to, I, you know, feel like I'm oh, well, I'm not really supposed to feel that, but ultimately, you know, for me, I feel like maybe that's the wrong perception because mm-hmm. two things happen. One is that you then become less effective over time. It's not sustainable to dwell in that place and to not have joy. So you become burned out and, mm-hmm. and you know, It's a lonely, real, yeah, it's and, really and bitter. lonely, bitter space. Bitter is, bitter is hard. Mm-hmm. When you see older people who are bitter, that's a really sad, that's really yeah. sad to me. I don't want to be bitter. Yeah, me either. The second thing for me is, you know, if you succumb to that, then they've won. Not only did they fuck up all these people, <laughs> they got you. You they got you too. Yeah, they got so the you. sum total of misery just grew that mm-hmm. much because you allowed it to then infect your spirit. And the thing is, you know, if you cultivate joy, not from an ego space mm-hmm. of like, look at me, mm-hmm. you know, I have everything, but more from, you a, know, a genuine organic place space of like yeah. joy is beauty. It's contagious. And you bring that to people around you. 
It starts to infuse your community. Why do you think all those kids come to the mentoring program yeah. week after week? What kid wants to sit in a classroom Kessel. on Saturday? I know on a Saturday. Yeah. And I Definitely see that kids keep coming back yeah, because do. you're bringing some element. They send us their raps. They want to be rappers. They're, and stuff. Some, they're experiencing like, joy. <laughs> you know? And I will say, because now you brought me to another point about the Han and joy. Like, I, you know what I don't like? Jungwon is that people assume that because I don't, I'm not a natural smiler. I just don't smile a lot, and people are like, oh, I didn't know you smile. Resting mean face. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, but it's me. It's my face. You look at my kids. My kids have the same face. My dad had the face. It, like it's just our face. Um, you don't have to smile all the time to be happy. You know, that's not an indication of joy. Smiling. Right. Um, I think an indication of joy is really a taking. A self-itemized um, look at who you are, what you're giving out in the world, and what you're bringing back. And I know for me, ultimately, I don't, I don't like embarrassing people or making anyone feel uncomfortable. So that's I find joy in that. I actually find joy in seeing people get along. Um, it was a period in my life where I actually, you know, I would, I would, I wouldn't smile because someone told me that. If you're a black man in this country and you're smiling all the time, showing your teeth, that means that nobody ever told you the truth. So it was one of those cliches that I grew up with that just stayed with me. Just like I don't, if I'm in the elevator or I'm somewhere and you, I won't lean on something. If I do, I will, I will stand up because I also was told as a young child that don't lean on anything, on anything. You know, you know, be responsible for yourself. So it's like. To resist or really understand your Han, you have to understand how you were cultivated in, in life. And I don't think a lot of us do that. It's fucking... I'm sorry. He's he's messing my Han up, Phil. Okay. He's showing me. He's holding... Yeah, he's standing... He Henry, preceded Henry. you. Hey, you know... What is he doing, Henry? He's, he's showing He's letting time. us know that he's, he's the boss here. But you know no, what? The beautiful the thing boss. is, like the river of Han, we can think of joy... Also as a river, continuing into the future, after the timer goes off, we can still have joy. <laughs> still have conversation. You know, that, that's you know what? John Juan, is, John Juan, we're really glad you came to hang out with us, actually. We've been oh, wanting to do this for fun. a while. Um, anything that you think we can do to help the rainforest, help the plastic epidemic, um, the sustainable living here... And and we got to come back because we I'd like to talk about the comparisons between what's going on in indigenous communities, rural indigenous communities, and what's happening in Brooklyn or South Bronx or you know L.A. or something. But you know we really value your brain. You also edited um, one of our first books we're going to put out. Yes. Well, I don't think I'm done yet. I'm yeah. still. I got a lot of edits. Yes, I'm still waiting. Yeah, for I know. I know. Some I got additional input. My writing. My writing. <clears throat> no, your writing is great. I just yes, want I need to help. expand on some stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think an amazing way that the combine could um, um, could create some movement. You know, this is an influential group of mm -hmm. people. You all are influencers. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you have access to young people who really look up to you. Um, what I would love um, is to see more 
young people in cities and particularly people of color start to think about sustainability and to see their place in an interdependent world. Um, there is a hierarchy of needs, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of mm. needs, and I mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. meeting your basic survival mm-hmm, needs mm-hmm. are first, they come first, of course. Um, but at the same time, I think if we are going to build a world in which our kids can really survive, it's going to be really important for them to understand the long-term picture. And we have to get all of our friends and family, really, to start thinking about the impact of all of their choices. You're going to carry a water bottle or you're Mm going to buy a plastic one that will take 400 years to dissolve. Why does it matter to you? Actually, it matters a lot, as you saw in the film. That film is devastating. I gotta watch the rest of it because I don't want to leave on what I saw. Which is I don't. Like, I mean, I you know, I think we can do it. But again, I feel like everybody's got to go all out and and don't beat yourself up if you didn't plan ahead and you forgot mm-hmm. your water bottle or you bought you know some non organic or non sustainable coffee or whatever. But you know, again, there's no regret is not constructive. So I'm always like, okay, well, what's constructive? You made a mistake, take note, mm-hmm. made a mistake. Okay, what am I going to do next, right? So like immediately move on because the, you know, the shame spiral yeah, that doesn't, doesn't create It's not productive. Change. Yeah, it doesn't you know, create change. Just, just then that's there. saying that, you know what we need to do? We've had a bunch of fun combine events. We need to do an event about sustainability and youth run. That run. would be amazing. Youth yeah. run. Youth run. We just support them yeah. and let them do it. Maybe, maybe you could show them the film. Mm-hmm. We have an environmental curriculum on mm-hmm. our website, so mm-hmm. it's you know depending on the age, there's some age appropriate. What's the website? It's uh, rainforestalliance.org. Okay. I think it's rainforest-alliance.org. Okay. Anything will get you there. All right. Um, so there's a, a curriculum there. Lots and lots of videos mm-hmm. that I think are educational and fun most recently we made a video about this really awesome guy who's now become my friend he's a costa rican surf champion um a really badass surfer um and he grew up on the caribbean side of costa rica and after kind of retiring from professional uh surf competitions he now um has become a bee rescuer and environmental educator Bee rescuer. Bee rescuer. I'll, I'm gonna send you the video. He is such a cool guy. You meet him, he's like, "Hey, that's yeah, bro, good waves today, <laughs> bro. That's all, that's You know, he's like super cool, yeah. right? And then you get to know him, and he's like a hardcore environmentalist who rescues bees. And I wish that you all could just sit down and like talk I don't to even him. know if when the bee is in trouble. Rica, you should yeah. visit him. He just was telling. We supposed me to go in August. Oh, I'm going to connect you. We it's may. Now, we actually... But the beautiful is... thing is, like, he was saying, oh, I even rescue killer bees, right? You know, remember the whole killer Wu-tang? bee scare? <laughs> so, he goes in and he's like, let me tell you how I deal with killer bees. They, like, smoke the hive so the bees get all drunk and then they, like, bring move the hive. And then they change the queen. So all they do is they change the queen, they take out the killer bee queen, and they put in an apis mellifera queen. That's like a really mellow bee that doesn't is not aggressive, and the whole hive follows. culture follows. Wait a minute, 
hold on, there's like a culture change that's like, in the hive. That's like in the hood. If if all the if all the if all the pretty girls stop liking the, the bad guys, then all the bad guys will try to be good guys. We can learn right? a lot from bees. <laughs> It'll be good. The other thing about the bees is like that there is a group of a small number of male bees that basically are raised to fertilize the female bee, the queen, but only one of them is selected. And then as soon as she selects them, all the rest are kicked out of the hive. Like, we have no use for you. Yo, that's just like, yo, like Americans are not evolved. I mean, Americans, humans are not evolved. Like, we're really <laughs> we're not. Yeah, we just, yeah, 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 yeah. We're not, we're not evolved. So thank, we want to thank Zhang Wan Kim. Thank you. And you're a surfer. Good surfing this summer. And yeah. enjoy Cuba. You and our, you and our, our yeah. bro are going to be we're in gonna, Cuba. We're going to study how the Cubans survived in near apocalypse. No, I think the one thing I'll say before I leave, you just hit it. Um, everyone that I know who's gone to Cuba has told me that I need to go and I need to bring my children because they need to see how a group of people resisted um, American imperialism and still were not broken. They're intelligent, beautiful Loving yeah. people, and, uh, and I'm looking for that. Garden in every town, because yeah. when the oil uh, ran out, they couldn't get vegetables from mm -hmm. all over the place. They had to start growing their own. Yeah. Well, anything you guys need, you need us to ship you some stuff here. We'll, we'll do that. I don't know. We might get in trouble under this administration. Uh, I'm, I'm told we have to bring our actually. own spices. Apparently, it's very hard to get spices. Spices? There. Yeah, it's ration. The food is ration. It's ration. So yeah. I just actually packed a little box of. I'm bringing chili flakes, curry powder, smoked salt, and ground ginger. And you guys don't eat mm. meat or mm. fish, right? It's gonna be a lot every of rice and beans. While, every once in a while, if I am Some somewhere in, I'm like in Cape Cod, if I catch a fish, I will eat you that eat it? fish. All right. Yeah. Yo, peace to the beautiful Jung Wan. Thank you. And, um, Thank you for the amazing work you're doing. We're just trying to figure it out, man. We gotta get rid of Phil. Everything is pick up once we get rid of Phil. <laughs> One day I'll leave. Shut up, man. Alright, peace. That drunk almost did. Master, 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 Master,
Muhammad Ahmed Salam alaikum Allah Amen Amen Through Jesus Christ our Lord Amen 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 By the grace of Almighty Lord Amen Amen So waka 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 I go to many places waka 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 I see my people waka 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 and they cry 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 Waka 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 wa